Support comes from Bellingham's Whatcom Museum with its historic Hall of Birds on May 31st and June 1st hosting bird taxidermist and museum preservationist Alice Markham for a weekend of events and workshops. Details and tickets at whatcommuseum.org. You're listening to Soundside. I'm Libby Denkman. Turnout for this year's November election was the lowest on record since Washington started keeping track in 1936. Statewide, less than 37 percent of registered voters returned their ballots. That beat out previous lows of 37.1 percent in 2017 and and even uh, another low in 2015. So what's going on here? We want to hear from you. Did you vote in this year's election and why? 206-221-3213 is the call-in number. That's to leave a voicemail to be heard on the segment. Again, 206-221-3213. And if you didn't vote, what kept you from turning in that ballot? Did your dog accidentally eat it and you just never got around to getting a replacement? That's a good story. You can leave us a voicemail, 206-221-3213. Washington is a state where elected officials brag about how easy it is to cast a ballot. You can register to vote up to and including the day of the election. You can register without a fixed address and before you turn 18, as long as you'll be 18 by the next election. And of course, your ballot will be delivered by mail with a return envelope enclosed free of charge. Or you can take it to a drop box. So in a state that makes it this simple, why was turnout so low? When we chatted recently, Secretary of State Steve Hobbs told me that participation is in part a matter of perspective. So, you know, obviously the I I wish the turnout was a little higher. You know, right now it's, well, 36.4 percent people voted. Um, That's one million seven hundred fifty seven thousand people, about four point eight million. But, you know, keep in mind, we've had a half a million more people registered since 2017. This is the first election in 50 years where you didn't have something statewide on the ballot. Uh, and not to mention, you, you you actually had more voters on here because we had a recent law where 17-year-olds could register the vote for the primary, provided they were 18 on the day of the election. And then we, our state, very fortunate, it's very easy uh, to get registered in this state. And I think that's a good thing. I think that's a good thing. And if you compare our state versus some other states like Kentucky, they had a governor's race, and that was only at 38%. Hmm. Yeah. And so you're highlighting that the number of registered voters is expanding. And especially when you're using some of these methods to get folks on the rolls early, like uh, 17 year olds, maybe you're going to see some of those 17 year olds not necessarily cast their ballots. Is that kind of where we're going with this? That's true. About 16 percent of them actually voted in this uh, this last election. So the Seattle Times has reported that this is the lowest participation rate since 1937. Were there any geographic areas? We've already talked about demographically, especially super young folks maybe didn't show up. Um, any demographic areas that stood out to you? You know, clearly, and by the way, this is not scientific or in any way, but, you know, places where it had a very contested uh, contested races, right? So, you know, Seattle would be one. Uh, Spokane. Uh, was a big race there. You know, people are motivated depending on the issue, the local issue that comes up. Yeah, contested mayor's race in Spokane, likely one of the drivers there. 
Um, there are few states in the country that has done as much as Washington to make it easy to register and easy to vote. Can you talk to me about some of the methods that the state has employed in recent years to really smooth that process? Yeah, I, you know, for one, uh, recently we passed a bill that if anyone has an enhanced driver's license, uh, you're automatically registered. You don't even have to worry about it. You're just automatically registered. Uh, in this state, we recognize the fact that everyone's going to have a driver's license. So you can use the last four of your um, social security number. You can register online. Uh, you can do that. You can go to your local, obviously local county auditor to to register there. So uh, and then, of course, you got the, you know, motor voter uh, law that we passed here in this state and 16 year olds recently are, are are in there. And then same day registration is also what we have that some states don't have. We're actually a lot further ahead than than many states. So that drives up the number of eligible voters that we have. Uh, so the thing that we got to work on is more civics education, more more urging people to go to the polls. And so this office is doing what it can. Uh, we we had some more money that went out to remind people about the ballot process, because that's what we're focusing on, and hyper-focusing on young people um, for, let's say, we're, we're talking about trying to develop a mobile game app for young people to get them interested in, in civics and voting. So we're doing that. And, and Libby, you may not know this, but for those... Washingtonians that are incarcerated and they're um, on a conditional release program. So maybe they have the ankle bracelet and they're they're serving out the last couple of months or maybe a year of their sentence. They're also allowed to vote in the state of Washington. And you've done a lot of work pushing for civics education, you know, behind bars too, right? Yes. Yes, we, we've definitely done that. In fact, um, a lot of people may not know this, but the Secretary of State does own the libraries in our state prisons and youth detention, two of our youth detention facilities. So we're starting, we're developing a program of civics education in prisons and our youth detention facilities so that when um, these detainees are about ready to be released about a year out, six months out, we're going to we're going to teach them about how a bill becomes a law, uh, how they can participate in their own communities. And so we're trying to do our part uh, to help um, people out. Some state lawmakers want to bring back this push to let cities move their elections to even-numbered years. Um, other places where we've seen that happen has seen a voter turnout jump. Um, I used to report from Los Angeles, and when they moved their city elections to even-numbered years, it was wild how much more participation happened in individual city council races. You've opposed the idea. Why? Well, because, Libby, in, in the case of the example that you gave for Los Angeles, I, I would examine like what the undervotes were. So undervotes are basically, imagine you, you get your ballot and you're filling out, you know, governor, your legislature, and then about four or five spaces down, you're, you're looking at like sewer district commissioner and city council member, and you just, you, you don't fill out because you've lost interest and you get voter fatigue. Uh, this state actually had even year elections only a couple of decades ago. And the reason why they abandoned that is because people were not interested in voting the rest of their ballot out. The other problem that I have, Libby, is the fact that it drowns out your local elected officials. So, look, uh, your listeners probably drive around listening to your program. And, and during election time, they see all these yard signs on an intersection. Imagine, if you will, everybody's yard sign on that intersection and trying to get their name out. And 
you're talking about candidates that are competing for for radio time, competing for um, dollars, donation dollars. It's really a time for local officials to get their name out and to get their issues out. It becomes more expensive to break through and to get that time if you are competing with all those other measures or or candidates. It does. And then the other factor, it, it has to do with the security of our elections. The odd year, now this year we had some bad things happen, right? We had fentanyl being mailed to election centers. We had the Postal Service fail to clear out some of their those blue uh, mailboxes. Um, I'm actually glad it happened this year and not next year. And every year, county auditors and my staff will will update our standard operating procedures. We'll do tabletop exercises. Um, so it's a good time to exercise that staff and exercise those plans uh, to prepare us for the big elections that happen in the even years. And I want to talk about election security in just a second. But just on this issue of whether or not to move elections to the even numbered years. It sounds to me like you're saying this is an issue where you care more about vote quality, as in people paying attention to all of these local races, than quantity. Is that true? That that That's mostly true. I'm, I'm also concerned about just ensuring that you know, our election staff continue on with their, their knowledge because they are a professional election staff and and we, we can fine tune our systems. But, you know, we've got to have election, some elections that highlight our local officials, our school board members, our sewer district commissioners. Um, those are the things that I, I want to lift up on a pedestal because people should know about them. If you put everybody in the even year, I how you, you're not going to know who your school board member is, right? You might see them that one time on your ballot and maybe you look at the voter's guide statement, but probably not because you're voting for so many people. Um, I, that's I, I'm concerned about too. It's the civics aspect of it. Hmm. Uh, anything else you want to add on turnout, on uh, safety of our elections, on what you're working on right now, Secretary Hobbs? Yes, absolutely. You know, one of the things I want to talk about is, yeah, I'm just as disappointed about the turnout as you all are. And, you know, we are trying to do something about it. So we we have been we received money from the legislature. This was this was last year, but it takes time to put the program in place. So we're already trying to hire three people to do more voter outreach, education, civics engagement. uh, And you can just look on the website for that. So hopefully we can get those folks in. Uh, one thing that we are really working on is, yes, we want to remind people to vote and put their ballot in the drop box and, and, and in the mailbox, but we want people to know about the process itself because this misinformation that's being spread is, is just d- damaging to our democracy. So whenever you hear someone says say something like, hey, did you know that uh, elections can be hacked. Look, that's not true. We want to send the message that, hey, our tabulation machines are not connected to the internet. Did you know that anyone can go into an election center and actually see the process happening? That's what we need to communicate. Because I believe that if people known about the elections process, maybe January 6th wouldn't have happened, right? Because then people would know it's like, oh, that, that, that 2000 mule story, that that can't happen. That's not true because I actually went to an election center or I talked to my county auditor or I know what the process is. Okay, before you go, I have, you know, a little bit of the most recent news that the Washington GOP 
is saying that it has filed an ethics complaint against you. That has to do with your office contracting with a company called Logically AI Inc. Now, the firm describes itself as a tech company that uses AI to fight misinformation at scale. Uh, The complaint from the Washington GOP says your office is inappropriately using this contractor to surveil voters. Again, this is the allegations um, also levied by the Republican Party chair, Jim Walsh, who accuses you of intimidation in a news release. So what's going on? So blatantly false. Um, Basically, this is logically that you're talking about. It's a British company. And, uh, you know, what we do is we use it to find what the trend lines are of misinformation. So it's we're not looking at people's personal Facebook page, but it's basically using a, a system which looks at publicly accessed data, right? So, you know, it, it it's public, right? So we're looking at it. And let's say, for example, I'm going to give you a for example. So if, if Logically comes back and says, hey, look, this is what's trending. It's saying that elections are being hacked. Then we know on our end, to counter it with messages of saying, you know, on our own, or we can and we would contact the media, uh, letting people know it's like, hey, guess what? Our tabulation machines are not connected to the internet. That's not true. The other thing it does is it tracks death threats. So if somebody is, or, or the trend is that they're talking about death threats against election officials, then we're going to know about it. We don't see the individuals post or tweet um, or X or whatever it is, we, we don't see that. Uh, we, we see our, what we see, you know, the tops of the waves, basically. We see what the trends are. Um, the only other option we have is if, if I hired a thousand people and they're just good looking through tweets and Facebook pages, right? That, that, that's absolutely ridiculous. Um, and it, it's, uh, it's sad that I'm, I'm hearing this from someone like Jim Walsh is is a House member here. He's not just the party chair, and he's one of the ones spreading misinformation. You know, so it, it's very disappointing to hear from him uh, when he represents you know a district and Washington State citizens. And he's part of this legislative body here. Yeah, Jim Walsh says that his posts showed up in a report that logically uh, compiled for your office. And uh, he's alleging that you're using public funds by contracting with this company in order to promote Democratic Party aims and your own political goals. Um, Just another chance to react to what Walsh is accusing you of. Yeah, I I think when look, we're not we are not suppressing, you know, anybody's stuff. Right. I mean, we're not calling people out and telling telling to take it down. We don't even talk to the social media folks. But I think if you have uh, a trend of folks saying things like, uh, hey, did you know that votes are being manipulated because they're, uh, again, hacking into the system? Well, then we know that that's not true and we we can counter it with some other information. Also, with the fact of the malign actors, such as Russia, China, and Iran, and others, who are spreading misinformation will be able to identify that as well. So yeah. I, I I don't know what his um, his issue is because we are not suppressing anybody's free speech. And again, this is all public, right? So 
if he's concerned, then maybe he shouldn't have a Facebook page or Twitter or any of that kind of stuff. As far as I know, he still does, and he's still able to post. So <laughs> Washington Secretary of State Steve Hobbs, thanks very much. And I appreciate uh, the conversation about election turnout and everything that's happening right now in your world. I, I do appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Odd-year elections always lag behind in voter turnout. There's no big gubernatorial, congressional, or presidential races reminding everyone to get out and vote. But things seem to be getting worse in Washington state. While recent even-year elections have seen near-record high participation, a growing percentage of voters have been staying home in the last decade of odd-year elections. So why do voters show up to cast their ballots one year and then disappear the next? To help answer that, we've called up a couple of experts. Andrew Villeneuve is the founder of the Northwest Progressive Institute, as well as the Northwest Progressive Foundation. And Mark A. Smith is a professor of political science and an adjunct professor of comparative religion and communication at the University of Washington. Hi, and thanks uh, to both of you for joining me today. Glad to be here. Sure. So we just heard from Secretary of State Hobbs talking about how he believes that there are a few things at play leading to our state's historically low November turnout. One, that there have been a lot of new voters registered, especially 17-year-olds, and a lot of those new voters just didn't show up. And two, that there was no statewide issue or candidate to really raise awareness and draw people to the polls. Professor Smith, let's start with you. What do you think of that assessment? What's behind these low voter turnout numbers? Well, um, I think it's worth noting, first of all, that the numbers are actually worse than than are, are reported. Um, so in, in Washington, we, um, meaning really the Secretary of State, calculates turnout as the number of voters divided by the number of registered voters. And notice that that excludes everybody who's not registered from the calculation. So about 75% of the eligible voters are actually registered. So if you basically throw away the, the 25% that are not registered and you don't include them in the calculation, you end up with a higher voter turnout than is actually the case. So the reported voter turnout in 2023 is 37%. But really, if you calculate it as a percentage of people who are eligible, you need to shave off about a quarter of that. And so it's more like 28, 8% rather than uh, rather than 37%. Well, if you look at it that way, that's <laughs> that's rough. Yeah, that's that's really rough. And and that's nothing against the current current secretary of state that Washington has been doing it this way for many decades. And it, it, it doesn't make any sense. But like a lot of things, uh, at some point, that's the way it started. And, and uh, nobody has changed it. But what's behind it? I mean, why is the voter turnout, especially I mean, comparatively, since we're doing apples to apples comparison here, it has been trending downwards in recent um, odd year elections. What's behind it? Yeah, well, I would agree with Secretary of State Hobbs on on, on a couple of the factors. Um, certainly, when there are prominent statewide initiatives or referenda, or even sometimes advisory votes, that can be a boost to to turnout. Um, so we didn't have any of those in in twenty twenty three uh, or in twenty twenty one. We did have a couple of them in in twenty nineteen, uh, affirmative action referendum and a car tabs an initiative. So those those kinds of issues, when they're out there, they will sometimes draw people in who might not have voted if it was only for the candidate races, which are normally, um, you know, say city council races and, and county council um, races, other kinds of, of, of local races. So that's that, that that's one factor. Um, I'm not so sure about the number of, of new voters, because really every election cycle, there are new voters. And I, I'd want to see some data on 
somehow the new voters this time weren't voting at high levels, but the new voters, you know, two years ago were voting at high levels or four years ago. So I'm, I'm a little more skeptical of, uh, of, of that one. Um, then, and then I throw in some other long-term um, trends, such as the, the decline of local media. Um, you know, obviously we have you all here at, at KOW, which is really a, a regional media operation. And as such, can't really devote substantial time to all of the elections in, you know, Garion and Kent and Mount Lake Terrace and all of the different municipalities in the in, in the area. Um, so those areas used to have smaller newspapers or other kinds of, of local media that would that would serve them. And those have declined a lot over the last over the last uh, couple of decades. It's just harder to make a local media operation uh, financially viable. And that was a place where a lot of people used to get information about local races. Now, the absence of those media mean a lot of these local races, they're just kind of operating in, in the dark. And, and a lot of voters don't know who the candidates are, and they don't feel invested in those races because they haven't heard much about them. And one of the reasons why they haven't heard much about them is the decline of, of local media. So I would throw that in as a, an important causal factor as well. Yeah. You open up your ballot and you say, gosh, I know nothing about this school board race. And some people are going to take a you know, flyer, they'll maybe do a quick Google, but it's tough to stay informed, especially when local outlets are few and far between. Andrew Villeneuve with Northwest Progressive Institute, what is your take on why voter turnout was so low this year, 2023, and, and why it's been trending downwards in odd year elections? Well, everything we've discussed so far is a contributing factor, but the main driver is election fatigue. And this has been confirmed in our research. We've been asking voters, OK, uh, you say you support even your elections like here in King County. We did a, a poll last year to understand voter support for even your elections. And we asked people why they wanted even your elections. And one of the things we heard was, I don't want to vote every year. People don't want to vote up to four times a year every year, which is the system we have currently. There's a special election window in February there's a special election window in April, and then you have the top two election, also known as the primary, but really better called the top two, and then the general election in November. So that's four elections in a given year, and you might have to vote in all of those elections if you have special elections in the in the spring and the winters. We actually had some voters say verbatim in our survey, I, I'd prefer to only have to vote every year, every other year. I don't want to vote every year because it's, it's a lot of work, and I feel... Like, I feel like I have more energy, I feel like I have more motivation to vote in even years. And that's when I'd like to do my voting for local races as well. Yeah. So it's really, we think the fatigue and you can see fatigue, it really under, it really explains why odd year turnout has been poor, not just in the last 10 years, but in other stretches of time too. Like in the 1980s, I would say, you know, back then that's, if you look at the historical record, that's the other period of worst turnout that really jumps out. People were not coming out to vote like in 1987 or 1985. Those weren't very good turnout years. And they're among, some of them are among the top 10 worst turnouts of all time. Back then, we had a much stronger media ecosystem and we didn't have some of the trends that we have today, like with you know social media and so on. So I think if you look at that era and compare it to this era, there are some things that are different, but the one thing that seems to be constant is that people just weren't tuning in in those odd years they were fatigued and so they weren't they weren't voting and i don't think this is a if you look back at the last 60 years of data this doesn't appear to be a problem that we're going to be able to really solve in other words we're not going to ever see odd year turnout at the level it is in even years there's only 
one odd year election during this entire stretch when turnout was above 60 percent and that was in 1991 and every other odd year election has been far worse in terms of turnout than the typical even year election so i don't think we're going to get to parity and that is a reason why it makes sense to move at least some odd year races to even years when the turnout is high and diverse andrew what do you make of the secretary of state's argument that during these odd year elections down ballot races like, you know, local municipalities, these candidates are able to get their message out more effectively and voters have the space to really consider them. Whereas during even year elections, they get buried by these state and federal ad campaigns and elections that kind of dominate news cycles and dominate voter awareness. Well, while it's true that in even years, there's just more going on and there's more noise, just a higher volume of of, uh, messaging out there. It's actually the inverse situation, because what you have right now in a lot of odd years is voters are tuned out. They're disengaged. They're not paying attention. This is the kind of conversations that we hear about from people we know who are out doing canvassing, who are trying to get people to vote a certain way in the election. They're discovering that people don't even know there is an election. And if they do know, uh, they might not care because they think it's a, quote, off, end quote, year, right? An off year. We hear that term all the time. Well, people hear off year and they think, doesn't matter. My vote doesn't count. I don't need to vote. That means I can turn my brain off. That's right. So, so So what we're seeing actually is in even years, let's say you take an odd year race and you stick it on an even year ballot. Contrary to what Secretary Hobbs has said, that race actually gets a boost because it's now riding on the coattails of the even year election. So it has a chance to get energy and attention that it wouldn't get in an odd year. Because if you think about it, the amount of energy that's required to get someone to care about the election, like the entire election, if they don't care, that's a lot of energy to get them to turn out and vote when they're not planning on paying any attention. But if they're already paying attention, the amount of energy required to get them to think about an additional level of government when they're already probably planning to vote is a lot smaller. So it becomes something where you're you're truly like hitching a ride, like a city contest can now ride on the coattails of these state and federal races. There's an opportunity for more volunteers for your campaign, for more attention when you're going to, you know, local civic meetings or local political party meetings. A lot of doors open. It is true that in even years, the cost for local candidates would be higher. But you have to remember that local candidates, the best way to campaign is good old fashioned doorbelling shoe leather campaign work. So that cost isn't going to change. If you're out doorbelling doing what you should be doing in a local race, you're not going to have like a fivefold increase in your costs. Andrew Villeneuve with the Northwest Progressive Institute. Their group also helped pass the measure in King County that recently aligned King County's elections with the state and local even years. And uh, as you can hear, the Northwest Progressive Institute and Andrew advocate for that to happen uh, statewide. That would require a state law to be passed in order to allow cities to do that. Um, and Andrew, you are working right now to to try to get that happening in the next session. I know it's going to be a short one. Um, But Professor Mark Smith, I want to bring you back into this conversation. I'm not asking you to weigh in on whether we should or shouldn't move to even year elections. But what do we know happens when we have municipalities aligning their elections with state and federal issues? Yeah, there are scholars who have um, studied this and it's, it's consistent with what Andrew has said in that the more times you ask people to vote, the fewer times they actually do vote because of uh, voter voter fatigue. 
So there um, certainly is higher turnout when you concentrate more races on the on the uh, same uh, ballot. Um, I think there is a legitimate point to say that the more races you put on the ballot, probably the less each individual race gets. And so when you do them in the off-year elections, you really do spotlight those those races and the the people that are are voting are going to be focusing on those uh, races alone. But the cost of that is you get fewer people voting and it's a smaller you know pool of voters and thus a less representative pool of voters so one of the reasons we want higher voter turnout in general you know in, in any election is that the higher the turnout the more you can say that whoever won that race is quote you know the voice of the people like the people really picked that person but if it's a very small electorate that picked them can you really say they are representative of of the public voice all you can say is like well of the relatively small number of people who voted more of them preferred this candidate than than another candidate, and so when you get down, like we had in in, in the most recent election of a um, you know what roughly a twenty seven percent turnout when you when you adjust for the the, the total voter pool, um, winning among that twenty seven percent, you know that that's not a really strong stamp of public you know desire for whatever that candidate was advocating. Whereas the the higher you push that, the more you can make a, a claim that the election actually did convey the public voice. So that that's kind of the trade-off. Do you want those races spotlighted? That's what the odd year elections do, but at the cost of lower turnout. When you have higher turnout, those races aren't going to get spotlighted as much, but the, the people that are voting are going to be more representative of the population at large, and thus the public voice is more accurately conveyed. I want to just zero in on sort of the highs and lows for turnout geographically across the state. And in terms of large counties, Whatcom had the highest voter turnout, 51 and change percent. And that's a county that had an executive race on the ballot. That's a county that had a um, a jail referendum on the ballot. This was, um, you know, something that uh, drew a lot of attention, drew a lot of advertising and campaigning. And then on the other end of the spectrum, at the lower turnout um, side, you had Yakima County with just 25 percent, almost 26 percent turnout. I mean, is that concerning? And and what do we take away from seeing Yakima um, so few voters go to the polls, Professor Smith? Well, um, I think your your question is very well posed in that um, I would just pull a, f- a few themes that you already, you already had in there, um, at least implicitly. So, so we really ought to think of voter turnout not as something that voters themselves are somehow this like self-motivating force that exists outside of the political system. And they just independently decide like, hey, do I want to vote or not, you know, independently of anything else going on. We, we should really think of it as as a system. So people vote because they care about the election, they know about the election. Well, how would they care and know about the election? Well, because information has been brought forward to them through a campaign. That could be through the candidates themselves. It could be through other groups. It could be through the media coverage that we that we talked about earlier. Um, so when you have more attention being drawn to the races, people become more engaged and then therefore they vote. So the distinction between you know Whatcom and, and Yakima counties, it's it really in the intensity of the campaigns. Um, when it's not a very intense campaign, fewer people are going to vote, as in Yakima. When it's a more intense campaign, both from the candidates, the media, and, and outside groups, and everybody that involved, they bring information and awareness to, to individual uh, voters, and then people are more likely uh, to vote. So we should really think of uh, voter turnout as being 
you know, kind of an indicator of something, but it's not just, you know, individuals, you know, are, are oh, maybe they're lazy and they, they don't want to do the work. Well, people really are um, time pressed and they've got a lot of other concerns going on. And, and so, yeah, may, maybe some, you know, KOW listeners might be the kind of people who are going to, you know, Google races on their own and, and like even independent of anything being brought to them, they, they might um, have sufficient motivation to go out and seek out that information. But that's just not the reality for most people. For most people, the information they get is mostly what is brought to them rather than what they go out and try to solicit on their own. Andrew Villeneuve with the Northwest Progressive Institute. Anything that stands out to you geographically or demographically about these turnout numbers uh, from the 2023 general? Absolutely. So with respect to Yakima, they've been consistently at the bottom of the turnout list by county for some time. They're regularly at or near the bottom. Like last year, which was an even year, they actually didn't hit 50%. I was just looking at their figures here and they they actually didn't manage to crack 50% even in an even year. So something is happening in that particular county where a lot of registered voters are just not turning out. And that's where I think a lot of voter outreach could make a difference. But it's important to note that in 2022, they almost hit 50. And this year, they're about half that. So the amount of work, again, the amount of energy required to get people in Yakima to turn out, like, I think with some great voter outreach, we could push those numbers well over a majority in even years. In odd years, it's hard to see how we're even going to get anywhere near 40%. And that is, again, because of the amount of energy required to get people who are not engaged or plugged in to then care about voting when they may not even know there's an election. And yes, it would help to have more hyper-local news, but even if we have more, I don't think that's going to really juice our turnout. We're going to have to think about this more broadly. From our point of view, the cost of trying to get people to care about an odd year election, the amount of resources you'd have to invest to drive up the turnout is really significant. And I'm not hearing from those who support the current system a plan for significantly increasing turnout in odd years. If they have such a plan, I'd love to hear it. I'd love to see uh, what the proposal is, how we're going to get people who are not currently voting to get engaged. But I haven't seen that proposal. And I will note that our bill, which allow cities to switch into even years at their option, that bill will not add more than three or four items in any given year to anyone's ballot because no voter lives in more than one city and most cities stagger their terms. So that means like, let's say you live in a a city like Yakima in Yakima County, Yakima, the city decides to switch to an even year joining Yakima County, which is already in even years. At most, a voter might see three or four more races added to their even year ballot in Yakima. And that's not a huge increase in ballot length. Our bill doesn't allow other levels of local government to switch. So this isn't going to phase out all odd year elections. It's simply going to allow an important unit of local government, which is cities, to join counties that are already in even years. Because cities are making some very critical land use, transportation, housing decisions that we don't see getting made at other levels of local government. So at the very least, it seems to us that cities need to be allowed to get into these higher turnout, more diverse, even years because of the important number of decisions being made at the city level. Mark, just to wrap this up, I mean, I'm hearing here a conflict between the position that Andrew and Northwest Progressive Institute have to move things to the even years to increase turnout and what the secretary of state is advocating, which is to stay status quo, have uh, city local elections be in the odd year. There seems to be kind of a tension between 
quantity and quality of voting. And I think Andrew, you know, would say, you know, even in the even year, you're going to get higher quality because you're going to get more attention generally to the ballot. But the secretary of state is sort of arguing that in those even years, all of that information is just overload and people are not uh, absorbing everything that they need to for the down ballot races. Um, is that a tension that can be resolved? And, and what do you make of that? Well, one thing I would make of it is this is not a new debate. Um, when I when I moved to Washington about close to 30 years ago, there was talk of it then of uh, some people wanted to move to uh, the, the local races to even years. And um, as I investigated further, I, I realized like, well, it wasn't even new 30 years ago. It was, uh, you know, 20 years previous to that. It was it was being talked about. So um, having odd year or, or having local elections during the odd year, Washington does that. Um, so some other states do it, but a lot of states don't. So it it really is something that you know different states have made different choices over 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 time. And like any kind of political reform, it can be talked about for for decades and have some uptick. And then maybe it takes a kind of really striking event like an extremely low turnout in twenty twenty three to kind of galvanize that and and allow um, you know. Uh, Anders Group and others to to crystallize this and uh, maybe get maybe get more traction on it. Um, I I do think it's a it's a real tension between do you know as as you put it uh, you know quantity and, and quality and you just kind of have to pick things that 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 you might want and and you might not always get everything you might want in a in a um, um, in, in an electoral system. Um, Another factor that, that we haven't talked about, but it's, I think worth mentioning, is that the, the local races have an especially acute information problem because they're nonpartisan. If you're voting for state legislature, even if you don't know the candidates, well, if you generally prefer one of the candidate, one party over the other candidate, uh, over the other party, you can make a choice on that on that race, even if you don't know a whole lot about those those particular candidates. You, you can't do that with with um, school board races, with city council races, with county county council races. Um, so there's there's a special uh, information problem for these for these local elections, and so you got you got you got to pick something, and and probably you can't get everything you want in an electoral system. You have to figure out what what do you prioritize more. Mark A. Smith is a professor of political science and an adjunct professor of comparative religion and communication at the University of Washington. And my other guest was Andrew Villeneuve, the founder of the Northwest Progressive Institute, as well as the Northwest Progressive Foundation. We also heard from you about why you did or didn't vote this year. Here are calls from Charlene from Snohomish County, Jovian from Tacoma, and Lisa from Edmonds. I voted because I was interested in ousting the old sheriff from the county and um, have a new sheriff who's a woman. So she won. So I'm happy. Hooray, woman sheriff. I voted this year despite how difficult it was at times to find any information about the candidates, particularly for uh, city councils and commissioners. Um, I had to go on to the local Reddit page and look at comments from other people to find any information that wasn't just the candidate's website. Um, and I think that maybe contributed to why my neighbor did not vote. He uh, takes pride in doing research and everything. He tried and uh, gave up because it was just too hard to, to really find any unbiased information. I did not vote. In part, I'm a very busy working single mom. The other part, um, I'm exceptionally let down and disappointed by politicians. I voted for years believed in them for years. 
Um, but reality is, even as a single mom with a college-educated professional job, I can barely afford rent in this part of the world. Um, I cannot afford to buy a house. Um, I'm disappointed in politicians. You know, they need to step up for working people. For me personally, it's going to take politicians actually putting their actions where their words are and making life, you know, a little bit more livable. Thank you all for calling there. The Charlene from Snohomish County mentioned the new sheriff. That is Susanna Johnson, who won the election over incumbent Adam Fortney. Um, thanks, everybody, for sharing your perspectives. Thanks for listening to Soundside. This show is only possible because listeners support us. If you're able to give right now, please check out the show notes for a link to donate. And don't forget, you can listen live on KUOW 94.9 FM Seattle at noon and 8 p.m. Monday through Thursday or anytime online at KUOW.org. Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. A story of moral panic, grassroots activism, and an unstoppable music community that fought for its freedom. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network.